Welcome in. It is the Chief Zone Podcast. My name is Farzi Vasuki, the host of the podcast. Appreciate all of you guys taking the time to download and listen to this episode of the Chief Zone Podcast on iTunes, Google Play. Appreciate all of you guys taking the time to make the podcast part of your day. Hope you all had a great 4th of July holiday week and enjoyed the weekend after the holiday. This was made for a pretty long week off for a lot of people. Uh, I had a very good 4th of July week. I was in Las Vegas. Had a lot of fun there. Ended up going there for UFC 226. Kind of felt like a fighter weekend for me. Uh, I actually sat next to a UFC fighter from Lee Summit, Zach Cummings. Sat next to him on the plane ride to Vegas. He was there to corner uh, one of his uh, teammates, who's also from the Kansas City area, Julian Marquez. He fought on uh, the Ultimate Fighter fight night. Uh, and then I went to go see UFC 226. I also met Chuck Liddell for a second time at an autograph signing right before that. So that was a lot of fun. But nonetheless, Vegas, always a good time and uh, really had a lot of fun over the weekend. And I uh, hope you guys all had a good and a very safe uh, 4th of July week. Uh, boy. Uh, so I, uh, I actually flew out on the 4th of July. And that morning I saw a post. From Jason Pierre Paul's Instagram account. Now, everyone knows Jason Pierre Paul. He was the football player who blew off a couple of his fingers uh, a few years ago with his 4th of July antics, which was very unfortunate. But he posted a very, very gruesome photo of his hand. I think this was right after the incident. And he just reminded people hey, you know, be safe. And he also talked about how he didn't want people to feel bad for him. Um, and that, you know, it was his mistake and all, which I don't want to get into. But I did see that post. If you, if you guys want to see it, just, just you know, you're getting a warning now. It's a very, very disturbing image. Um, if you're if you're easily, you know, frightened by those kinds of things. Uh, but he has a really interesting statement out there. Uh, even after the 4th of July, I mean, it talks about being safe and all and how, you know, he he regrets what he did and, and, and doesn't wish that upon anyone else and doesn't want any sympathy for it. Still has a very strong message if uh, you get a chance. Definitely check it out on JPP's Instagram page. But nonetheless, back here in Kansas City, holiday is over with and training camp is just around the corner and to be exact... Two weeks away from Chiefs training camp, uh, all rookies and vets will report on the 26th and things will get underway. And later in the podcast, I want to talk about my six big questions about the Kansas City Chiefs going into training camp. Pro Football Focus has had a lot to say about the Kansas City Chiefs lately. I want to talk about that as well and kind of respond to those Stories and give you guys my thoughts on uh, some of their recent praise of the Kansas City Chiefs. They had a very intriguing stat about Tyree Kill and Sammy Watkins, which I will bring back up again. We, we actually mentioned that on the podcast last episode uh, before the holidays. And it, it really just goes back to the whole excitement that everyone has with this offense going into 2018. So we'll talk about that later on in the podcast. And Later on, I also want to talk about one deal that NFL fans are complaining about. And when there's a new change in a certain issue that NFL fans are upset about, they're still complaining about it. It just seems like we can never 
see eye to eye on something or at least be happy about something or any kind of change. As a matter of fact, in the closing segments, you'll notice a bit of a theme here where even with a change, when people complain about a certain thing and when there's something different that comes, people still find a way to complain about it. You'll notice that theme later on in the closing segments of this podcast. Also, in the penalty flag segment, a little teaser for this one, uh, we found four morons who... Uh, committed a, a, an interesting robbery, I, and I, I'll be honest, I don't know if uh, these people have been caught yet, but man, they should be, because they made it very easy for the company and for the police to find them. I'll explain that later in the podcast. Facebook.com slash Farzine that is my Facebook page. Like and follow me on Facebook. You guys can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21, and email me as well, Farzine at Farzinevesugian.com. Uh, we'll obviously get into all of the Chiefs news in just a minute. Just a minute. Well, not a whole lot of Chiefs news, but some of the recent stories uh, surrounding the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, there is one story out there about a former Chief. I just saw this right before I started doing the podcast. Uh, Dexter McCluster. I'm sure you guys all remember Dexter McCluster. Even before his rookie season officially started in the regular season, he was one of the more popular guys at training camp because of his speed. A lot of people have heard a lot about what he did, I remember there was one story, I think in OTAs or in training camp, where he actually uh, ruined one of his shoes because he outran an entire defense. And that got a lot of people excited, and they were looking forward to him. And a lot of people were rooting for him in training camp when uh, he was making big plays in front of fans. But uh, Dexter McCluster, uh, his name has been in the new cycle lately. He is receiving interest. As a matter of fact, he's actually working out with a football team out there. It's not an NFL team, though. It's a CFL team, the Toronto Argonauts. Which, I mean, gosh, it's kind of a bummer. Because I remember this guy really did have a lot of potential. I remember that same offseason, the Chiefs wanted Darren Sproles, former Kansas State Wildcat and Olathe North grad. And unfortunately, the Chiefs missed out on him. So they went after a guy like McCluster, hoping he could be the next Darren Sproles. And they drafted... DeAnthony Thomas a couple of years later, hoping that he could kind of be the same thing. Different regimes, by the way. That never panned out. And then the Chiefs draft Tyree Kill, who really is doing all the things that the Chiefs, even with a different head coach, were hoping to see from Dexter McCluster. I think any head coach, what you're seeing out of Tyree Kill, probably you expected that from Dexter McCluster. I'm sure a lot of scouts, a lot of coaches around the NFL Thought that Dexter McCluster could have been the next Darren Sproles. I know he got a lot of comparisons from scouts on that, but never lived up to that hype. And Tyreek Hill, his uh, level of play certainly has been uh, more comparable to Darren Sproles. So it's very frustrating to see uh, for uh, for Dexter McCluster. And by the way, I know someone close to Dexter McCluster that he when his first year in Tennessee when he played for the Titans, uh, someone close to him had told me that he really missed Kansas City and he liked it a lot more than Tennessee and definitely wished he would be back. I don't think he finished the three-year uh, contract that he had with Tennessee. I know he ended up uh, with the Chargers for one season, had a, some weird accident in his home uh, that forced him to miss the remainder of, of the 2016 season. Just a very unfortunate turn of events for Dex McCluster after he left Kansas City. Finally made the Pro Bowl in his final year with the Chiefs, which was also the first year under Andy Reid. Here in Kansas City, that was, of course, all in 2013. But there you have it. McCluster receiving interest from a CFL team. It appears his time in the NFL may be over. Hey, look, let's not forget there is the XFL 
coming around in a couple of years. So maybe uh, McCluster will give uh, McMahon's uh, 2.0 football league a chance. We'll see how that all unfolds. Uh, The only bit of Chiefs news to really talk about uh, as far as actual things that some thought that were going to happen... Uh, a lot of people thought that the Chiefs were going to be active in the supplemental draft, which took place on Wednesday afternoon, but Chiefs did not draft uh, a cornerback. As a matter of fact, there were two cornerbacks that uh, a lot of people were e- e- expecting to, to to see them get drafted by, uh, by by a team, and both of them actually ended up going. The Giants took Sam Beal out of Western Michigan in the third round. The Chiefs were actually tabbed as one of the teams that were uh, strongly considering Sam Beal. Uh, again, quarterback out of Western Michigan, but they did not take him. The Redskins took Adonis Alexander in the sixth round from Virginia Tech. So there you have it. Uh, the Chiefs, again, they were, they were in the bubble, certainly in uh, discussions of getting one of the cor- two cornerbacks. And uh, Sam Beal seemed to be the more favorable one that could have gone to Kansas City if the Chiefs were, uh, if they decided to. Be active in the supplemental draft, but not the case. So the Chiefs passed on that. And by the way, uh, the Chiefs have only selected a player once in the supplemental draft. That was back in 1992. They took defensive lineman Darren Mickle from the University of Florida. Eventually traded him to the New Orleans Saints. Had kind of a a decent season. Uh, Was never really a big name player for the Chiefs. Uh, he ended up playing a total of nine years in the NFL, played for the Saints, played a little bit, I believe, for the Chargers, and one season with the Raiders, if I remember correctly, off the top of my head. But uh, that's the only time the Chiefs have been active in the supplemental draft in the past. But nonetheless, uh, the Chiefs uh, decide to forego with who they pick uh, in the supplemental draft, and instead it's the Giants and the Redskins who were the winners in the supplemental draft on Wednesday. I do want to talk about this. I mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast. Pro Football Focus has had a lot to say about the Kansas City Chiefs lately. A lot of good things, by the way. And Pro Football Focus does a great job. Even if you're not a subscriber to PFF, follow them on Twitter and follow them on Facebook because they post a lot of infographics that You'll be intrigued. If you're a football nerd like myself, I mean, if, if you want to see those advanced stats, if you want to know more about, you know, who has the few, the, the, the fewest uh, drop rates in the NFL or you, you just advanced statistics, Pro Football Focus puts some of their statistics out there on their social media pages and in some of their articles in which you are not charged anything to see their social media posts or read some of their articles. And in one of their articles, they talked about the top 20 players who will make an impact for their new teams in 2018. And in those 20 players, in that list, two Chiefs were on there. Wide receiver Sammy Watkins and Kendall Fuller. Made that less. I'll get into Sammy Watkins a little bit later, but I want to get Kendall Fuller out of the way. And I think a lot of people already know the story. This was, uh, I mean, Kendall Fuller was the, maybe not officially the first acquired uh, 
player in the offseason for the Chiefs, but was the first known guy because of the Alex Smith trade. That happened very early in the offseason. Te- technically, that actually happened still in uh, season mode because we still had the Super Bowl left. And the Kansas City Chiefs, they actually stole some of that thunder on Super Bowl week when they traded Alex Smith away to the Washington Redskins to get Kendall Fuller. Basically, all pro football focus said, it's nothing that it's nothing new. We've discussed this on the podcast before, but it talked about how he was arguably the best slot cornerback in the NFL. And if you look at OurLads.com, Dan Shonka, a great guy who runs the site, who's been on the podcast before, a couple of times, in fact, uh, in his depth chart, he has a... Uh, he has these depth charts, basically, and he has... Kendall Fuller, I listed as a slot cornerback. Now, here's the thing with that. Obviously, when you're a guy like Kendall Fuller, yes, you're doing really good in the position you're in, but eventually you want to make a next, you want to get that next big job. You want that promotion. Look at Tyreek Hill a couple of years ago in the NFL, his rookie season. He started off as a slot wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs, and now he's made his way to. Being a number one wide receiver, now one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And we saw this with Steven Nelson a couple of years ago in 2016, where he did a fantastic job as a slot corner in 2016, which was, by the way, Fuller's rookie season. But last year took a major step back in 2017, and he actually had a bigger role with Kansas City's defense, uh, especially with, with Marcus Peters being inactive a little bit, the suspension, of course. Uh, and who who did they have opposite of him? And the Kansas City Chiefs, basically what Pro Football Focus is saying is Kendall Fuller trying to make this transition now to Kansas City. There are some big things that you can expect out of him. And I don't know if we should expect the guy to be like a Marcus Peters or can he be a guy like Sean Smith? Now, maybe not with the size of his height, but as far as coverage goes because Sean Smith when he was here in Kansas City arguably a top five cornerback and I remember pro football folks actually had him graded as a top five cornerback he was never flashy with his statistics necessarily and that's okay if you're not it's great if you are it it separates you from the good cornerbacks to the Pro Bowl cornerback you can actually be in that discussion of one of the more elite cornerbacks in the NFL if you're able to make some plays with your hands. But coverage is really the number one deal there. You don't want to get burned. And with Kansas City's pass rush hopefully coming back to what it was before last season. These quarterbacks are going to have a little bit of an easier time. Defending wide receivers and tight ends. And you know with this being a quarterback driven league. A pass heavy league. You're going to need that more and more. And you saw Kansas I was really excited at one point because I really thought Kansas City was going to have Marcus Peters, David Amerson, and Kendall Fuller as their cornerbacks this season. Unfortunately, not the case. But now we see the situation at hand, and Kendall Fuller might be the one of the top cornerbacks for Kansas City. And David Amerson, he wasn't mentioned in this top 20 list, but he's got a role to play too. And... It's going to be interesting to see. I've said this for a while. These are two underrated corners. Kendall Fuller, is he underrated? I I don't know. I I don't know if he's getting noticed a whole lot among fans across the NFL. I'm not really sure. But David Amerson, I I definitely feel like, and I said this way before he even signed. 
I said this back when he was with the Raiders. When I looked at some of his film with uh, the Raiders and the Redskins, I, I've said for a while, this is a very underrated quarterback. I was stoked when the Chiefs signed him, uh, knowing the Chiefs at one point had three good quarterbacks. But uh, nonetheless, uh, Kendall Fuller is one of the guys who uh, made this list. And it's going to be very, very intriguing to see what he does, especially with a defense that at one point, I mean, they, they were just one of the best. When it came to putting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And now, this is a team, they're trying to find their identity again, defensively. And I think last year was was just shocking to everyone. Because when the traffic of Patrick Mahomes happened, a lot of people thought, okay, we know where this offense is going now. We could expect a change at some point. Uh, Sure, we all heard that Mahomes was going to be a backup his first season, but that doesn't rule out the possibility if anything happened to Alex Smith, they could make a switch at quarterback to Mahomes at some point during the season. But if you told any Chiefs fan that the offense was going to be dynamic the way it was, with a rookie running back in the third round leading the league in rushing, having a 1,000-yard receiving players at, uh, at wide receiver and tight end, and your quarterback throws for 4,000 yards, which, by the way, all of that has only happened with one other team in NFL history, and that the defense was going to just completely collapse, no one was going to believe that in or outside of Kansas City. I think everyone knew that Kansas City, not knew, I guess, but I guess the expectation was going into 2018 that the defense was going to have to carry this football team, and that this is a team that, you know, if they allowed a lot of points... You definitely had to pray that the offense was going to put up a lot of points and, and, and get involved in some shootouts. Otherwise, this team could have lost a lot of games. And just the way things ended up unfolding for the Chiefs, very surprising last year. So certainly going to be interesting to see how this defense does, especially with the addition of Kendall Fuller, who, who's definitely going to be a big add. And someone, Here's the other thing I'll, I'll say also, and I've said this many times. Andy Reid always gets players to play above their potential. And not only that, look who you have as your position coach. You got Emmett Thomas, former Kansas City Chief cornerback, one of the best in NFL history, former Super Bowl champion, pro football Hall of Famer, now a position coach. And this is a guy who has made guys like Brandon Flowers, Marcus Peters, Eric Berry play at a very high level. So hopefully we can see more of that for guys like Kendall Fuller who made this list, as well as David Amerson. Now, the other player who made this list was Sammy Watkins. And one of the things that Pro Football Focus pointed out that I did not know about was the fact that Sammy Watkins was tied first place among active wide receivers. I'm not talking about a wide receiver that may have had just one or two catches. We're talking wide receivers that were targeted quite a lot in 2017. Sammy Watkins had a drop rate of 0.00 in 2017. That is... A pretty big deal. Especially when you have all of the... Over the years in Kansas City, there have always been excuses. Why is it that the quarterbacks don't do well? Whether it was Trent Green, Alex Smith, Matt Castle, whoever it was. The offensive line's not protecting them. The wide receivers are dropping passes. Uh, No help anywhere whatsoever. We've had all of these excuses more and more. Now that you've drafted a quarterback in the first round, and more specifically traded up 23 spots, 
in the top 10 to get this guy. And with Pro Bowl players at wide receiver, tight end, and at running back, and I think a very underrated and underappreciated offensive line, I don't know what excuses there are are left. I really don't at this point. The only thing is if everyone starts getting injured left and right, hopefully that doesn't happen. But you look at that stat that Watkins has a 0.00 drop rate, certainly a big deal in the NFL, especially at that position at wide receiver. Kareem Hunt, by the way, there was a stat thrown out there from Pro Football Focus over the weekend. He had 19 carries of 15 plus yards. 19 of those. The next closest was LaShawn McCoy. And also Alex Collins of the Ravens. They both had 17. And I also mentioned this stat of Pro Football Focus. Uh, They pointed out that Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill, respectively number one and number two uh, in the NFL last year against off-press coverage. That's another big deal there. And I mentioned off-press coverage. I'll mention this real quickly again for those who may not know some of these terms as well as other football fans. Basically, off-man coverage is when the cornerbacks, and we see this a lot with rookie cornerbacks, We saw Marcus Peters do this a lot his rookie season, and that tend to hurt him a little bit more. Cornerbacks do this a lot their rookie seasons because they get a little nervous. The quarterback position is known to be the second hardest uh, making the transition from college to uh, the NFL behind the quarterback position. And that's why a lot of rookie cornerbacks do this. But basically, it's when quarterbacks... Don't play close to the line of scrimmage. In fact, they actually back off a few yards. Five, some of them even 10 yards. Not the most ideal thing to do. And if a quarterback sees that, he'll definitely point that out to his offense in their language and their terminology. They'll use to make an audible and go for a short pass. That'll help you gain five yards. Maybe even more if you can get a few blocks your way or, or get a defender to miss. Because if you're seeing a cornerback provide that big of a cushion, you definitely should consider changing the play up a little bit. And we all know about Travis Kelsey. One of the best tight ends in the NFL. If you want to say Gronk's the best tight end, sure. Uh, It's hard to say that if you're of the opinion that Gronk's the best, which I would agree with, even though it gets hurt a lot, and I think that's that's part of the sport... Uh, Travis Kelsey has to be a 1B. Gronk's 1A, Travis Kelsey's 1B at the very worst. There are a lot of great players on this Chiefs offense. There really are. And it's going to be interesting to see what Pat Mahomes does with this offense. And I've said this before, I know a lot of people are excited, but I can also see people losing their patience because a guy who's going into his first year as the primary quarterback, he's going to... I have the learning curve. And people might respond and say, well, look, hasn't he spent all of his time practicing in the offseason? Hasn't he, haven't the coaches been working with him on this? Yes, but if you want to use that logic for all 32 teams, then essentially we should be sitting here saying that all teams should go 16-0, no problem. Obviously, that's not the reality. The reality is, sure, you go through practice, but everyone knows at the end of the day, anyone who follows football closely that football players are protected at practices. 
yeah, yeah, the the defensive lineman and offensive lineman, those guys clash. They don't hold back. But when it comes to your quarterback, you don't sack the guy. You just don't. And Pat Mahomes has to make that adjustment. I think the preseason is going to be a learning curve for him as well when he gets more snaps. And he gets an opportunity to play with the number ones this time. He did a great job with the backups against Denver in Week 17. I know Denver had some of their backups as well. Not the entire time. We did see a keep to leave being Chris Harris and Von Miller in the second half of that game. But let's also be honest. I mean, I think those guys were also in lethargic mode. I mean, it was Week 17, but those guys were ready to pack up and just head home for the offseason after the long year it had been for the Broncos in 2017. But you guys get the idea. I mean, no one's a win. You never make excuses for that or, or apologize whatsoever. What I'm trying to say right now is, especially with the first four weeks for the Chiefs in their schedule, the Chiefs are going to be facing a lot of teams that have a really good pass rushing duo. And I've said this before on the podcast, and trust me, there are going to be a lot of Chiefs fans out there who are going to lose their minds and they're going to either want Chad Henney to start or they're going to go on the tweet machine and start begging for the Chiefs to draft a new quarterback in uh, 2019. I do think Mahomes will struggle in the first four games. How badly? I don't know. I can't give you a stat line on that right now. Maybe when it comes closer to kickoff, maybe I'll have something better. But I, I actually think if you if I had to give a stat line right now, I don't. I'm not going to give an exact number, but I think his touchdown to interception ratio will be very, very close, and it's certainly not ideal for the first four games. But I think after that, he'll learn from all of his mistakes. He'll learn from some of the things that he has had to deal with, and he'll be able to learn from that moving forward and do a better job. And listen, if Mahomes excels and does great in those first four games, if he doesn't have a lot of problems dealing with Pass rushing duos, and I'm talking elite pass rushing duos. Let's look at the list for just a moment. Week one, the Chiefs are visiting the LA Chargers. Melvin Ingram, Joey Bosa. You got those two guys on that defense. Cameron Hayward and TJ Watt in week two when the Chiefs visit the Pittsburgh Steelers. Week four, the Chiefs visit the Denver Broncos. And by the way, this is of course uh, three of the first four games uh, in which all of these three opponents, I'm ma- mentioning all of them on the road, which will make it a little tougher. Didn't really realize that the first time, but uh, looking at Denver's defense, they've got Shane Ray and Von Miller. Now, I and when I say this, I, I know Chiefs fans are going to take this the wrong way, some Chiefs fans at least. Hopefully they're all healthy, because I love it when you can beat a team at their best. And if all of those guys are healthy and don't suffer any injuries in the preseason or early in the season, Pat Mahomes is definitely going to be tested in those games. Just watch the first four weeks, guys, because I think that's going to really tell us a lot about Mahomes and where he is with his progress in the NFL so far. Did the one season of sitting behind Alex Smith, did that that help him much? Or did that hurt him? Did that slow down his progress? Because I've always said this personally. I've never played the game of football before, of course. But I've always felt like in any job, anything you do, sure, you can watch and learn some things. But you learn much more by actually doing things. By going out there, making a mistake, learning from your mistakes and preventing them from happening in the future. And I think that's the kind of kid Patrick Mahomes is. 
everyone can get that sense that he's a very smart kid. And, uh, I mean, otherwise, why would a team uh, trade 23 spots up, trade away next year's first round pick, which actually happened to be this year's, to get this guy? There's a reason for that. Before Deshaun Watson, by the way, which a lot of people were shocked by. So we'll see how all of that pans out, but definitely the first four weeks in the NFL, three defenses with really a scary pass rushing duo, and that is something that we're going to have to keep a close eye on. How does Pat Mahomes do in those first four games of the season? Three of them on the road, and all three of those teams have a very reliable pass rushing duo. Let me know your thoughts on that. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian, Twitter.com slash Farzine21. Also, you guys can email me, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. All right, before we wrap things up here, I want to talk about my six biggest questions going into training camp. Of course, just a couple of weeks away, right around the corner. Players, of course, recharging their batteries. They're getting ready. And uh, rookies will report soon. And we will soon see the entire team hold their first practice two weeks from today. So here's my first question. Can Patrick Mahomes overcome some of the struggles he's had so far in practice? We've heard some of the stories out there about how he did not look good in some of the OTA sessions that he's had. Now, again, they're OTAs. I'd rather those things happen in OTAs than happen in regular season games. Listen, if he has one bad preseason game, I can already see the the headlines and the 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 social media banter that will that will come. Peyton Manning in his very first game with the Broncos threw two picks. And if I'm I, I I don't know if his first two passes were both interceptions or if they both happened in the first quarter, but keep that in mind. In Peyton Manning's very first preseason game with Denver, he threw two interceptions. I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes is a Peyton Manning. No, 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 no. But what I'm saying is even the best of the best have gone out there and have looked bad in exhibition games. And look, even in regular season games, you know how many times both Tom Brady and Peyton Manning have looked bad, especially against Kansas City? Every elite player has their bad days. So listen, they're going to be, if Patrick Mahomes ends up being a big time pro bowler and stays in Kansas City for 10, 15 years, great. But even in, in that long of a time span, there will be a game or two, maybe a couple of more, where Patrick Mahomes will have a terrible game. He'll have a touchdown and four or five interceptions. Every player goes through that kind of crappy game. You cannot, you can never expect a guy to go perfect for 16 straight games every year for 10 to 15 years in their career. Will Shields has had a couple of terrible games, and he's arguably one of the best guards to ever play as an offensive lineman. So it happens from time to time. So all of these issues that he's had in practice, what has he been doing this offseason to overcome those struggles? What kind of a practice session will we see? From Mahomes. How will he do in practices in training camp? That'll be important for me. Let's move on to number two. Who starts at left guard for the Chiefs? Parker Anniger is listed as one of the favorable candidates at that position right now. Don't forget about Khalil McKenzie, a defensive lineman. who was That's how he was drafted as, but the Chiefs are going to be converting him 
to offensive lineman, and it's expected that he'll be a guard in the NFL if he stays on the offensive side of the football. Uh, Adam Teicher, uh, formerly of the star with ESPN now, he mentioned his surprise. ESPN had a really cool article where they listed all 32 surprises from OTAs, and Ryan Hunter was a guy on that list for the Chiefs, and he had seen a lot of time at left guard in OTA so far, and that is a player who the Chiefs might try might try out at that left guard position quite a lot during training camp. We'll see how Enniger's recovery is going. We'll see if Khalil McKenzie, you know, even though he's a late round pick, was drafted in the sixth round this past year, uh, making that conversion that definitely tells me something. Uh, the, the Chiefs certainly see some confidence uh, in this guy. They, they see something good in him. They feel good about it if they want to switch him to the offensive side of the football. Not an easy switch to make, but certainly uh, there's something there if they felt the need to do so. And not only that, but using a draft pick on him. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, certainly some candidates there, but got to keep some eyes on uh, guys like Enger, McKenzie, and Hunter and see who comes away with that left guard spot uh, as that battle goes on during training camp, in the preseason, and we'll see who starts at that position going into Los Angeles on September the 9th. Third question I have, who are going to be the defensive linemen for the Chiefs? Chris Jones, I feel like, is the obvious one. That that guy's going to be your left defensive end. But what about the other guys? Uh, I mean, what do we expect? Nose tackle, I feel like, is definitely wide open with Derek Natty uh, drafted in the the third round. The Chiefs acquired Xavier Williams out of Arizona. We'll see if he's the guy who who might end up being the nose tackle to start off uh, the the first week of the season. Not exactly sure. I, I think there are some question marks right here. Alan Bailey, at one point, Alan Bailey, probably one of the better defensive ends and underrated defensive ends in the NFL but he has declined since then. I remember there was a point in time where the Chiefs had uh, Dontari Poe, Allen Bailey, Jay Howard, some, some really good and underrated defensive linemen. And Allen Bailey, Bailey hasn't necessarily been uh, that dominant. Uh, drafted in the third round in 2011, uh, as was Justin Houston. So from the same draft class, different regime, but have stuck around uh, probably a little longer then uh, at least Alan Bailey could have expected. Uh, a lot of times when you have head coaching and GM changes, especially multiple GM changes since then, uh, you, you do kind of worry about your placement uh, with a certain team. But Alan Bailey's still been here, and we'll see what the Chiefs want to do with him because that right defensive end spot, especially in this in this defense as you're trying to regain your identity as a defense, especially you're trying to rebound when it comes to trying to get sacks, putting pressure on hurrying quarterbacks, you definitely want a good front seven. And that defensive end spot is going to be key. That nose tackle position was losing Dontari Poe a correlation as to why the Chiefs didn't do so well with their outside linebackers last year. I don't know. Uh, that's something that remains to be seen at the moment. But that's definitely going to be one of my one of my keys for training camp. One of the areas that I'll definitely keep a very close eye on when training camp kicks off. Fourth question I have. Who starts at safety beside Eric Berry? Now you've got some candidates here. Some very interesting candidates. Daniel Sorensen. He played a lot last year filling in for Eric Berry. The Chiefs, by the way, did did cut Ron Parker during the offseason. Before free agency kicked off. So there's definitely a wide open spot there. There's Leon McQuaid the third. 
was drafted in the sixth round in 2017. And maybe he gets an opportunity to see a lot of snaps in the preseason and perhaps into the regular season. Don't forget about Robert Golden, who the Chiefs signed from Pittsburgh. Uh, a guy who has played a lot on special teams, but in the last couple of years, he has seen some starts at the safety position for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And would he get more starts in Kansas City? And I want to forget about Armani Watts either. Safety taken in the fourth round out of Texas A&M. And this is a player who I think probably has one of the best chances among third-day draft picks. One of the best chances to start early. Uh, You never know if an injury takes place or if other safeties are not looking very good. Maybe the Chiefs want to give Armani Watts a chance. Why not? Uh, Certainly would make sense, especially when you use a draft pick on a guy like him. Uh, And maybe he comes through and shines in some preseason games or in practices in training camp. And maybe the Chiefs feel the need to give him the nod going into week one. So there are definitely some interesting candidates at that free safety position as well. We know Eric Berry can play both positions. He's currently listed as a strong safety on our lads, but we know that can change as well. And I think it's going to be interesting to see, especially with a new secondary here. The two cornerbacks who you have, Fuller and Amerson, they didn't play for the Chiefs last year. Eric Berry only played one game last year for the Chiefs. Uh, Sorensen... Out of all the guys who I've mentioned, he's played he played the most for the Chiefs at safety last year. So uh, this is going to be a very interesting group, and it, it's gonna even though Eric Berry is not a new player, he's been here since 2010. It's gonna feel like a new set of defensive backs simply because we haven't seen Eric Berry in a long time. So that's gonna be something to keep an eye on as well. A couple more questions left, and this one we we actually address. And by the way, I'm gonna cheat here and. Uh, Ask two questions with one here. What role will Kendall Fuller play? We kind of talked about this with the Pro Football Focus article because we still don't know exactly. Yeah, sure, there's speculation, but we don't know exactly how the Chiefs are going to use Kendall Fuller in 2018. And the other question I have on here is, can David Amerson rebound? Of course, coming off that injury with the Oakland Raiders, uh, didn't play a whole lot the past couple of years, and he's looking to make a turn. And he's trying to rebound. And he's getting the opportunity to do so in Kansas City. You lose Marcus Peters. How are you going to make up for that loss? It can't just be one player. It's got to be a couple of guys who are going to need to step up to make up for the loss of Peters. Chiefs felt the need to trade him. And they had, they've been able to make a couple of additions in the offseason. Let's see if that'll be enough to make up for the loss of Peters in 2018. And final question, let's get away from the offense. Let's get away from the defense. Let's show some respect to the special teams unit because that's part of the the game as well. That's one of the important facets, and the Chiefs have succeeded in that lately. One of the more dominant teams in NFL history when it comes to the return game. We all know about Tamarick Vanover, Dante Hall, Dexter McCluster had some highlights here and there. And then when Dave Tobe came in here, we saw Quinton Demps, Niall Davis, DeAnthony Thomas, Tyreek. I mean, we've seen so many players who have scored a touchdown on special teams uh, because of Dave Tobe. So we've seen a lot of guys succeed. But I want to know who is going to be the kick returner for the Chiefs and punt returner for the Chiefs in 2018 sounds like a silly question but listen if Tyree Kill is going to be your number one wide receiver you, you can't have him out there uh being the full-time uh return guy 
for kickoffs and punts, I, I think he he's going to need a reduced role. And they talked. I, I mentioned this in uh, in one of the podcasts last season. I can't remember which game it was uh, previewing, but the announcers mentioned that in the broadcast later that week for that game. Uh, you want to make sure he's going to be able to to be able to succeed in his duties on, on offense because as exciting as it is to see a guy take a kickoff or a punt return all the way for a touchdown, I think Tyreek Hill's priorities need to be with the offense because he can do a lot of dangerous things on the offensive side of the football to help Patrick Mahomes out, of course, another big factor. And not only that, it's just defensive backs had such a hard time stopping Tyreek Hill last season when he made that transition to a wide receiver. They all they already struggled with him during his rookie season, what he did. When he focused more on that receiver role, didn't get a lot of handoffs or carries. Uh, we, we saw a completely different Tyreek Hill, and we saw him dominate at that position, so... Is he going to get any of those duties? Is he going to get one of those two? Is Sammy Watkins going to have a hand on special teams return duties? What about DeAnthony Thomas? A couple of other guys on that list. Armani Watts might be a guy who could handle some return duties. I think we're going to see a lot of guys try out at that position. And honestly, if I'm the Chiefs, why would I let Tyreek Hill take one kickoff or punt return in the preseason? Okay, maybe one or two because he's got to, you know, he's he's got to at least get get used to it against in a live game rather than doing it in practice against his own teammates. Okay, maybe maybe that's the the argument you could make there. But for the most part, I don't need Tyree Kill to prove anything on special teams in preseason games. I need to see some of these other guys out there who the Chiefs are considering on special teams. So I hope we don't see a lot of Tyreek Hill. Uh, I will say the one thing he definitely needs to work on as a punt returner certainly needs to be his decision making when it comes to fielding certain punts. And we've seen him fumble a couple of times. More times than not, he's the Chiefs have been able to get it back. But it's going to hurt the Chiefs one day if Tyreek Hill does not make smart decisions when it comes to choosing when to field a punt and when not to. I remember he took a punt uh, and returned it at the five-yard line against the Chargers in Week 17, his rookie season. And at that exact moment, I said, why is he taking that? Now, he ended up getting a touchdown out of it. Kind of a crazy play. He had to stiff-arm his own teammate. I believe it was Steven Nelson. But overall, I I really don't need to see a whole lot of Tyreek Hill. Just want to see him improve on the decision-making. That's it. Get some of these other guys out there because if we want Tyreek Hill to to gradually get away from that special teams duty, okay, fine. Maybe not the most ideal thing. I still want to see him return a few here and there. Maybe have him as a punt returner. Uh, but man, I, 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 we really need to see some other guys out there because, like I said, Ty, what Tyreek Hill is capable of doing, I think he can do a lot more damage in 2018 than he did last year which is crazy to say but I think Tyreek Hill that I think the party with Tyreek Hill is just getting started and as a matter of fact I'll say this right now actually I had this discussion with my brother I think Tyreek Hill is going to be the MVP for the Chiefs in 2018 when it comes to that Derek Thomas award when they vote on that I think Tyreek Hill is going to be the guy who gets that 
Let me know your thoughts. Facebook.com slash Farzine Twitter.com slash Farzine21. And send me an email as well, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Let me know about any of the training camp questions I have, uh, any of the pro football focus stories that we've touched on, or anything else that we've talked about here on the podcast, or we might talk about in just a moment. You guys can let me know on social media, and you can email me as well. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. First thing I want to talk about, the NFL versus NBA contracts discussion has started up again. And I'm sure we, you guys have all seen this at one point or another in the past few years where NFL contracts are compared to NBA contracts where four players equate the amount of contracts with 22 quarterbacks. It, it, NFL players are starting to take note of this and want to make a, want to make, want their owners to know about it as well. And owners have responded to this saying that NFL players are ungrateful. NFL players, meanwhile, are saying that these greedy billionaires are the ungrateful ones because they're not willing to agree to any new deal that would allow teams to pay their players more money, especially because of guaranteed contracts. That situation certainly frustrates a lot of NFL players. I saw, I believe it was, Russell Okung who made his voice heard on Twitter. He had uh, a thread of tweets in which he had gotten into detail about this. Listen, here's what I'll say right now. Every sport is different in the way it uh, it operates. For example, the NFL, you're playing 16 games a year in the regular season. Now you've got your preseason games, your postseason games, possibly... Uh, the uh, the NBA, you've got what? I believe 82 games a year. In baseball, you have 162 games a year. I think you've got to understand, and I'm not saying football is such an easy sport to play, that one week plus those five days of practice, you get a one day off, maybe a travel day if you're going on the road. Uh, but, you know, what an NFL player does compared to some other pro athletes uh NFL players aren't playing as many games uh, compared to other players. Now, I, I get this also. There are far more ratings and a lot more ad revenue in the NFL compared to other sports. I don't know what the solution is or or where we can find uh, 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 something that we can agree on in this situation between players and uh, owners, but... Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure. You, you know, the NFL is dealing with a lot right now with the anthem protests. The those uh, I, we mentioned on the podcast those crazy stories with cheerleaders and how they feel like they're being treated uh, unfairly compared to uh, the men in the NFL, the players in the NFL. A uh, lot of things, uh, concussion. The, the, those stories continue to be a thing each and every single season. The NFL is dealing with a lot. And this is another one on their plate now where players are starting to express their their frustration with how much they're getting paid. And the NFL has to figure something out at, at this point. And that's a job for Roger Goodell, the people involved with the NFL Players Association. Uh, people who have to make those big decisions. Not a very easy one. One decision that has been made this offseason, there will be seven first-year NFL officials set to start in 2018 because listen we hear lots of fans complain about officials but when there's a story out there that there are going to be not one not two but seven first year officials people are complaining wondering how the quality of games will go folks 
People love complaining about refs. That's one of my biggest pet peeves with sports fans. Now that we have some new referees coming in, there are more complaints about it. I don't know where we can find the happy medium with some things. And I'm going to get to another story similar to this later on. But folks, come on. If you're upset with what we've seen from NFL referees in the past, give these first-year referees a chance. If you've been upset with these guys, then what's the other solution? The only alternative here is to get new referees, and that's exactly what we are going to be getting. Seven new referees in 2018. Final story I want to talk about in this segment. Very, very shocking story regarding running back LaShawn McCoy, a player who Andy Reid once drafted in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, And we mentioned LaShawn earlier in the podcast, not with this story, of course, but a very crazy story regarding uh, how his house was apparently targeted and his ex-girlfriend was beaten very badly. Uh, Now, I believe his ex-girlfriend on Instagram wrote a very detailed uh, post basically throwing him under the bus, calling him an an animal, calling him the devil. Uh, and, uh, apparently they had been keeping things quiet about how he once, uh, beat his dog Henny into a kidney failure, allegedly. Uh, then she talks about how LaShawn McCoy beat his son for doing small things such as peeing his bed. I guess that, uh, well, I, I mean, I, I was going to say, I guess LaShawn McCoy gets that angry. I don't know. We're, we don't know these things yet, but again, he's being accused of this. Uh, by the way, she uses the word viciously beating her son, or his son, excuse me. Uh, oh, then she says, all the, uh, in capital letters, illegal steroids and needles you were using, but we will not keep quiet about this, with a bunch of exclamation points. Uh, she also says, in capital letters, your karma is going to be so real. Um... Lot of things coming out right now. Uh, she uses the hashtag animal abuser, child abuser. Uh, later, we learn that uh, LaShawn McCoy, or excuse me, uh, a, a police confirm uh, of LaShawn McCoy's home was, quote, specifically targeted in a home invasion that left his former girlfriend hospitalized. All right, look. Uh, we've been discussing stories like this quite a lot lately, uh, and I've compared the, things like this to the Tyree Kill incident. We, of course, have mentioned Luke Heimlich, the uh, the college baseball player who was accused of molesting his 15-year-old niece, and the Kansas City Royals are very interested in this player. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about these things, and uh, by the way, that that if if you if you haven't heard the podcast where we discussed Heimlich, there is a very interesting backstory to all of that. That kind of makes you wonder if he's even guilty or not in all of this. But I won't repeat all of that on this episode. Uh, what I will say is, you know, I, I th- we've got to be very careful because people were very very quick to uh to criticize McCoy. And some are saying, let's wait on all of the details and facts to be out. Listen, I, I'm, people people are going to have opinions. No one's going to want to wait. I don't know what to say. Here's, here's what I've learned over the years. When you hear stories like this, be very, very careful 
with what you say and what you accuse people of, of, of doing. Because the truth of the matter is, I was not there when he's he allegedly did all these things, and nor were you. So we don't know exactly what he did, what he didn't do, if any of this is true, if it's all true. Uh, not exactly sure, but what I, what we do know is LaShawn McCoy's not in a very pretty spot right now. This alone is not in a this alone is not a good thing. And let me just go back. We mentioned Kareem Hunt. He's been involved in two minor incidents. Again, they're minor. I'm sure the Chiefs are taking care of that. So far, he hasn't been charged with anything. However, it just takes one small incident, and maybe someone is going to use his past incidents against him and start making up a bunch of lies. I'm not saying this woman was lying, but I'm saying someone out there might do something. Look at Ezekiel Elliott and the strong claim that he had that he was in the innocent side of things. But the NFL disagreed, and he had to serve a six-game suspension. He's claiming that there are a lot of lies being thrown around there, and that the NFL doesn't have all the facts. Again, it just takes one crazy person to be around who might make some of these kinds of claims. I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. I want to, I want to hear more. But again, I, I, and I'm not saying don't accuse LaShawn McCoy. What we already know right now puts him in a very, very bad spot. This is never a spot anyone wants to be in. So he's already in hot water right now. Could it get worse? Potentially, yes. And I'm sure as the investigation continues, there will be more that we will learn. But for right now, uh, be very careful when you comment on things like this. Social media is a crazy cesspool when it comes to stories like this. Just be very cautious with what you say until all of the facts are out. Let's go out of bounds. Man, I don't know what to say about the Kansas City Royals. They have lost 10 of their last 11. They just snapped a 10-game losing streak, and now they've started a new losing streak, uh, losing to Minnesota Wednesday afternoon. Uh, They have only won six games since June 1st. By the way, that 5-21 record in June, second worst month in franchise history, and it appears the Royals are trying to surpass that because they've only won one game. Uh, They don't play on July the 12th, so they play on the 13th. So we're almost two weeks into the month of July And the Royals only have one win. Now, there's also the All-Star Week, so they'll play fewer games. But still, there is a strong chance that this could actually be the worst month in franchise history. I've had this discussion with other people, and I actually wrote about this on Arrowhead Addict. It's so crazy to think that this baseball team went to the World Series back-to-back years just two and a half years ago. And where they are right now, this is worse than those... A hundred lost seasons they incurred a couple of times in the early 2000s. This is worse than that. I did not think this was even a possibility after being in the World Series back-to-back years just a couple of years ago. I don't know how you can even describe this. People are so excited saying that the the Royals have some interesting prospects, some really great players coming in. The, The Royals have had this for years. They've been bad for a very, very long time. And it just so happened that their luck finally came through and some of their 
early draft picks started to play really well in 2014 and 2015, and now we've seen them decline once again. I don't know how long it's going to take until the Royals are going to be great again. Um, I, I, it's really frustrating to see. And it just makes people want training camp to, to start sooner and sooner. Which a friendly reminder is two weeks away. So be patient. Trust me, all the local TV stations, the Kansas City Star, both radio stations in town... Oh boy, I mean, they are going to shy away from the Royals. 610 maybe cannot do that so much since they're obligated to cover that team a lot more closely because of their contract with the Royals. But man, uh, I'll tell you what, Sports Radio 810 definitely will be happy to sway away from Royals talk. And it is going to be all Chiefs, uh, the, the new quarterback, all that stuff. That's going to be discussed by the local media a lot in two weeks. I want to talk about UFC 226 for a moment because Daniel Cormier, he became the heavyweight champion and now he's the second fighter in UFC history to hold two belts simultaneously, Conor McGregor being the other one. Brock Lesnar made a return. Now, people have been complaining about the UFC lately, saying it's too boring uh, without Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey. And when Brock Lesnar comes back, when he gets in the octagon to confront Daniel Cormier, he shoves Cormier and they start cursing at each other back and forth they start shouting at each other yeah it actually was pretty entertaining to watch and people started criticizing the ufc for it saying it's too wwe-ish folks the ufc yes it's a real fight in the cage but there's also an entertainment aspect to it there's a reason why they have press conferences there's a reason why they do stare downs with their fighters because they know some of them will talk back and forth or shove each other and It'll draw more interest in the fights. Brock Lesnar in three minutes showed us why he deserves to get a title shot and be in the main event for a big pay-per-view sometime after his USADA suspension is over. Maybe an exemption comes? I don't know. But what I do know is people complain that the UFC is boring without Conor and Ronda and when Brock Lesnar comes back it's supposedly too WWE-ish. Conor McGregor went and, and threw a dolly and a chair at a bus just to get one guy to come out. Brock Lesnar just shoved another heavyweight and cursed out some of the other heavyweights in the UFC. And you're going to tell me Brock Lesnar's antics are too WWE-ish? Come on. One last thing I want to talk about. ESPN broadcasted an eSports uh, television show. It was the quarterfinals for something. I, I just heard about this on the radio, and it really got me thinking. Especially when, you, when we have streaming services like Twitch, which is kind of like YouTube, except it's only for video games where you watch people play video games. They commentate while they play. People, people have a fascination for that. Speaking of the UFC, I, I just uh, Demetrius Johnson, the flyweight champion, he has a Twitch account, and his side job is to simply play, play video games on Twitch, and he catches in money from that because a lot of people watch him. Uh, some of you guys have said that you guys want to, uh, on the for the Facebook Lives that I do for halftime and post game. which by the way, I, I'm, I, I would love to do that, but it seems people only join in, or at least a lot of people only join in when the Chiefs lose, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to test it out for the first couple of games this season. But a lot of you guys have said that you guys want to, you guys want me to stay on Facebook Live during the games. Like, you guys want to interact with me. 
while I'm watching the games. You guys want to watch me watch games. And I'm thinking, why? <laughs> like, what do, what do people want to watch me watch a game for? And, you know, when when I heard this radio advertisement for ESPN's eSports games, it got me thinking, we are kind of in an era now that people really love to watch people do things. So, for example, like uh, uh, unboxing the new iPhone or a camera, uh, and people love videos like that. People love to see people's reactions for, uh, you know, a crazy episode of a popular TV show. Um, some people do reactions uh, to um, to movies. And you can watch along with them on your TV and also watch them react to the entire movie. There is a market for that stuff. There really is. Uh, but by the way, I'm not going to stream myself watching football games. No, I, I've got too many other things going on. And I'm, I'm talking to other people. I'll, I'll talk to you guys at halftime and, and postgame. Believe me, that's good enough. You guys don't want to watch me watch games. Try, I'm not that exciting of a person. Uh, I appreciate people who want that. Um, I, I know some people have tried that and they had an audience for a bit and then it died down quickly. So I think that, that would end up happening with me anyway. People will say, oh, this moron's the same as me. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Uh, you know, video games is interesting because I don't know whatever happened to G4 Tech TV. Someone let me know if that's still a channel. But I remember watching that as a kid. And I think that channel was ahead of its time because that had a lot of video game analysis, recaps, and people were, uh, people were basically playing video games and you could watch people play video games and if it intrigued you maybe you would buy the game and that was another interesting way to promote a certain video video game kind of interesting to see if ESPN is going to continue with that and if they're going to have a lot of viewers for something like that by the way in Las Vegas there's a place at Luxor that I saw called Esports Arena I checked it out I don't even know what it was I thought it was maybe like I thought it was maybe maybe like a big screen uh, for like sports video games or something because of the sports theme arena, eSports. But I go in there and there are a bunch of people on uh, computer games. Uh, I've got to say around there's at least 200 uh, computers there. And it's a bunch of kids playing Fortnite. I've heard of Fortnite. I know there's a big sensation with Fortnite. Someone let me know what's going on. Someone once told me that Fortnite is a game where basically it's a battle royale and there are a bunch of people and you basically have to kill the other team. Uh, why do I see people digging stuff? Because I don't think that's killing people. Um, but I was blown away. I was actually kind of embarrassed to be there. Basically, parents can take their kids to this place. And there's actually an open bar for the parents to chill and drink while the kids are playing video games. I don't know if they're playing all in, uh, if the, if everyone all 200 players are in the same uh server or what the deal is. I'm not exactly sure. Um but man, uh this was kind of a crazy thing. I guess there's a market for these things now. And by the way, people were approaching my brother and I asking if we wanted to compete in the Fortnite tournament. I would get my ass kicked by all these kids that were playing Fortnite. There, I don't. Even, I've never played it. I've just seen a few video clips of it. Someone, please tell me what's so great about that game. Because if it's a shooting game, I don't know. I, I mean, I always thought Call of Duty was the premier shooting game. 
I don't know. Let me know your thoughts. If you know about that, let me know. Edu- educate me on Fortnite. I'm actually at the point now where I care, and I'm curious. Let me know. Final segment of the show. Let's throw some penalty flags. All right, so there are a couple of guys, four to be exact, that uh, walked into an Apple store. Technically, they didn't break in. It was during uh, open hours. Uh, But four guys go in, and they seal a bunch of laptops, a bunch of phones, basically $27,000 worth of Apple products. What these four geniuses forgot is that Apple devices, and, and Apple really prides themselves on this feature, Apple products have a feature called find my device or locate my device. You you can find your iPhone, your iPad, your iTouch, whatever. Uh, They have uh, a a GPS tracking in them. And by the way, if I'm not mistaken, these uh, devices that you see in stores do not function properly like you would with a personal iPhone or a MacBook Pro. Because they're in store mode or, or, or something to that effect. Yeah, a lot of you guys have been in Apple stores before, so I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. But these four idiots probably f- forgot or didn't know that Apple has the uh, locate my device feature. So, and I, by the way, I have not followed up with the story. I'll actually check it out after the podcast. Uh, maybe there will be a story about this by the time this is out. But surely... These guys should be easy to catch if Apple and the police work together to use that feature. Uh, these guys should be easy to catch, okay? Uh, these guys didn't think it through. Uh, not saying you know, people should be going and robbing these, but come on. If you're going to do it, don't do it at a place where it's going to be easy for people to find where you are. I mean, isn't that the point when these people do Horrible things like this to at least not get caught. Well, these guys should be caught pretty soon if they haven't been by now. I want to go back to the 4th of July for a moment because they do this competition every year. The glorious hot dog eating competition in which this guy, whoever did it, uh, he won uh, in a record-breaking performance 74 hot dogs. In 10 minutes. Listen, I've always been the kind of guy, look, do what you want in life that makes you happy. But I do have to ask this. What's the glory in eating 74 hot dogs in 10 minutes? What's the, what do you, what do you, what's the benefit out of all this? What do you get out of this? I mean, it it might be just me. I, I, I don't see anything fascinating about food eating competition, at least a competition where you have to eat 74 in 10 minutes or try to eat a high quantity amount. Like, I don't get, I don't get that. It's never been my thing. If it's one of those things where it's, oh, you know, who can finish this spicy slice of pizza the fastest? Okay, like, that's that's a fun competition to watch. It's it's a pretty spicy thing. They, they, They will both struggle through it. But when it comes to eating a high quantity amount of wieners, no, uh, I'm out of that one. Boy, this is a very crazy story coming out of Arizona. Cardinals general manager Steve Keim cited for a DUI on the 4th of July. 
there was a body cam showing the arrests. Very disturbing. Uh, actually shows police getting fairly physical with him, and he's restraining at one point. Uh, there was a report that came out that he lied during his DUI arrest and had a prior conviction. Uh, uh, didn't misidentify himself at the time of the DUI arrest. I guess there was some confusion with that. Uh, but Ian Rappaport is reporting that he could be facing a possible suspension. Now, I'm not exactly sure how a general manager could be facing a suspension for something like that. This might be a first. Uh, we, we, we don't see these kinds of things, uh, but, but it's under the NFL's, uh, substance abuse policy. We, we don't, we don't see this with non-players, very rare situation, but GMs are the ones that normally come down on this GMs and coaches, maybe owners, if they feel the need to get involved sometimes to hammer down on players when they get in trouble and do things like this. Now we see the decision makers get in trouble for something like this. Not a good look for the Arizona Cardinals. And certainly not for Steve Kime himself, the general manager of the cards. Uh, hopefully this all gets figured out. Hopefully he can learn from this. But nonetheless, uh, very shocking story to see. Especially when you, when you hear about the incident where he lied about uh, a prior conviction. Uh, certainly not a good look for him, nor the NFL when it comes to higher-ups in, in an area like this. Especially when uh, the higher-ups always have the power and they, they try to brag about certain powers they have and look down on certain players similar to the uh, story we talked about earlier about how NFL owners say that players are ungrateful well your GMs might uh, not be sweet little angels either Uh, Mr. Keim doing the things that he did Uh, I mean look it's no Jason Pierre Paul blowing off your fingers but this is still pretty bad Uh, one of the bad things out there and that's something that the Arizona Cardinals are having to deal with as well as the NFL and Maybe we'll see a punishment from them on this issue very soon. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. My name is Farzi Visugian. You guys can follow me on social media. I am on Facebook at facebook.com slash Visugian. Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. And you guys can email me as well, Farzine at Farzinevisugian.com. A big thanks to all of you guys for downloading and listening to this episode. If you haven't, hit the subscribe button on iTunes and Google Play. Also, hit the share button as well. Share it with your friends on social media. Let them know about the Chief Zone Podcast. Once again, I appreciate all of you guys taking the time to download and listen. I know originally I was going to have this episode released on Friday, but I was going to do two podcasts. My Chiefs podcast and my MMA podcast, The Cage Zone, on the same night. I was going to record them on the same night, but I'm unable to do that due to a scheduling conflict. So for now, this podcast will be out on Thursdays instead of Friday. So for for the time being... Uh, we'll have the podcast out on Thursdays, my MMA podcast. For those who are interested, I'll be recapping UFC 22. A lot of crazy stories to talk about there. That podcast will be out tomorrow. That'll be out on Fridays for now. So if you guys are interested in that, check out the Cage Zone podcast. That is out on iTunes and Google Play. A new episode will be out tomorrow, so check that out as well. Again, big thanks to all of you guys for downloading and listening. Please share the podcast. Until then, talk to you guys next week.